the automated podcast. Hi there, and welcome back to the automated podcast with your host, Mark Verbankov. So this week, we're going to continue the discussion surrounding synthetic media and deepfakes, but look a little bit more specifically into the negative aspects, as well as, of course, the future repercussions of this uh, technology becoming ubiquitous. So my guest this week is Raymond Lee. He is the founder of FakeNet AI, which is a Berkeley-based startup developing deepfake detection technology. So prior to FakeNet AI, he spent eight years in business analyst roles for an energy company and a biotech company. He then went on to pursue his master's in data science at UC Berkeley School of Information, where he immersed himself in developing machine learning models to detect deepfakes, leading to the creation of FakeNet AI. So as Raymond and I focus on the more pernicious aspects of deepfakes this episodes, we do look at some specific recent examples that I think really highlight the need for a better understanding and awareness of this technology, and of course, why more jobs in deepfake detection will be required as time goes on. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Great. Well, hi there, Raymond. Thanks for coming on to the Automated Podcast. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Great. Yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure. Um, I think it fits really, really well as you work in the realm of deep fakes and synthetic media. And last week I had on another guest uh, who was also on the same subject and he was giving us quite a kind of a robust overview of the industry. But I think your company, FakeNet AI, really touches on some of the problems uh, with deep fakes. So though I touched on it last week with Victor, I was wondering if maybe we could start off with some of the problems with, with deepfakes and maybe go into that a little bit more. Uh, a number of the problems that were brought up were kind of deepfakes within politics, right? Uh, so you have like fake news uh, in the political side of things, you have both celebrity and bullying porn, uh, fraud, and general fake news. Is there, is there anything else that I'm missing? Or Yeah, sure. Those are good areas to start. And then there's also a few uh, second order effects of deepfakes that uh, we could discuss as well. So now I'll take a step back for the listeners um, who, may, who may not know or who didn't listen to the podcast last week. Mm -hmm. um, I'll, I'll briefly explain what a deepfake is. So a deepfake is an AI generated form of media. So it could be video, it could be audio or text. And it's generated through AI and um, it's becoming increasingly uh, realistic. So if you were to look at a deepfake video, in studies that we've done, um, viewers who um, view a set of deepfake videos and real videos are only able to detect deepfake videos 60% uh, of the time. And we think that as deepfake technology is increasing, um, that number will become even lower and lower. Um, that's, so that, that that's is, really interesting. I, I was not aware of that, of that figure. That's really interesting. Yep. And um, what got me actually into deepfakes was I saw the Obama Puppet Master deepfake um, back, I believe it was in 2017. And uh, I had actually thought it was, it looked um, incredibly like Obama. It even sounded like Obama. Um, but as I continued watching that clip, I realized that it was Jordan Peele um, controlling Obama's face movements and impersonating his voice. 
so that that was my first experience with deepfakes and that kind of um, uh, made me realize how powerful this technology is right and, and it's it's uh it's quite a new technology as well right it's it hasn't been out for some 20 years or so so if there's already uh 60% of the people that can't tell a deep fake from a, a normal real video uh the numbers are definitely going to go up in the next 5 to 10 years right right we definitely believe so i'll introduce sort of like the history of deep fakes as well um sure sure so the the first deepfake was believed to be created in 2017. Um, a user uh, was able to use uh, what's called a generative adversarial network, uh, which is machine learning technology developed by Ian Goodfellow. Uh, a user was able to use that to swap an actress's face into a pornographic video. And that, uh, that is the first instance of uh, a deepfake uh, being used back in just 2017. Mm -hmm. I want to also give some numbers on how deepfakes have grown since then. Uh, so as of June 2020, there are about 50,000 deepfake videos on the internet. Um, compared to back in December 2018, there were about 8,000 deepfake videos on the internet. So deepfakes are growing at an exponential rate. And uh, some say that pretty soon, we don't know if it's five years or 10 years, but at some point, if we don't do anything about deepfake videos, uh, they will flood the internet and viewers will not know what's real and what's fake. Right. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty scary idea when you think about it. I mean, the amount of, uh, say, pictures now that are completely altered in one way or another on the internet is, I, I don't know the numbers, but I would assume it would be in the 90s or high 90 percentiles. Um, so I think that, you know, there's this idea that images can't be trusted online, but videos for the most part are still, maybe they're, they're I wouldn't say that they're fully trusted online, but maybe they have a, a higher degree of trust. But yeah, if you're mentioning these deep fake videos are going to be kind of ubiquitous, uh, the trust in videos is going to be significantly less, which I don't think is a good thing. Right, right. I think one reason why you, people trust videos more is because it is harder to alter a video. You would need to spend a lot of time or traditionally you would have needed to spend a lot of time altering each frame of the video mm -hmm. uh, but now um, deepfakes uh, are able to be created um, they used to take hours now they take minutes sometimes even seconds so because it's be going to become as easy to to doctor a video as it is now to create doctor an image we think that that trust will continue to decline right and um so you you were mentioning some of these uh the problems and you gave that example of the first one uh you're based in san francisco so uh, i think you know the the world is quite aware of the swaying of public opinion uh in the 2016 election within politics um what in in your opinion is kind of the most problematic issue is it is it politics? Is it this cyber bullying through the use of porn? Or is it just general fake news and the distrust in you know, communication between people? Uh, that, that's a great question. I think they're all, they're all equally concerning in, in, their own, in their own ways. 
and I could I could touch more on that. So, so with with fake news, yes, we've seen that um, they've been fake news has been used to shape public opinion, and um, by introducing uh, fake videos, I think that um, fake news has potential to become even more believable and cause even more harm. There's also been cases of deepfakes being used to facilitate in fraud. There's an example of an audio deepfake being used to scam a utility company out of $200,000. Hmm. So what happened in that case was somebody, uh, a, a scammer essentially, impersonated a CEO's voice uh, using audio deepfake technology. And they had asked a member of the company to transfer $200,000 urgently. And so the employee, feeling uh, pressure from the quote unquote CEO, uh, went ahead and, and transferred that money to the, to the scam account. And that is a, a notable example of deepfakes actually being used for harm in the real world. And since then, there's actually been another incident in which somebody tried to do the same thing, but the employee did not fall for it in that case. That's, uh, that's really interesting. Technology in general is typically used by criminals and for porn when it first comes out. But it, yeah, it's really interesting to hear kind of a specific use case of deepfakes being used for fraud. I, I wasn't aware of that example either. So these are uh, two examples of deepfakes being used for fraud. Is this, is this trend kind of growing in scope or is this still localized to just a few small examples? Uh, still, still a few small examples, actually, but the companies that we've been working with are becoming more and more concerned with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we have a, a pilot agreement with one of the largest financial institutions in the world, and they transact trillions of dollars every day, and they want to have insurance against this kind of deep fake attack. We think that it, it, these types of attacks will, will increase to the point where uh, it kind of matches the level of, say, um, other types of spear phishing attacks. And it's only a matter of time until then. Um, but we know that uh, companies want to get ahead of this. They don't want to fall victim and lose 200K or more uh, to one of these types of attacks. They also don't want to accidentally give away other, other types of uh, valuable assets, such as intellectual property, customer information, to one of these types of attacks. So they want to protect themselves. So maybe this is a good segue into your company, FakeNet AI. The, the main reason I was very excited to have you on to the podcast today, because um, I think your company is one of the few, if not the only one, that really tries to tackle this problem of the, the future uh, problematic deepfakes. Uh, maybe you can introduce your company, give us a little bit of history, and and then, of course, uh, exactly what you guys do. Yeah. So my company, FakeNet AI, uh, is a deepfake detection company. We use machine learning models to detect deepfakes. And our customers right now are financial institutions and uh, news media outlets. So one, uh, we have a pilot agreement with a large financial institution. And then uh, we also partnered with one of uh, Facebook's 
fact-checking partners. Uh, they're mm -hmm. a company called News Mobile, based in India, and they have a reach of 30 million. And essentially what we do is uh, we protect these companies from deepfake attacks, and uh, we also scan social media for deepfakes so that, uh, say, a news media company could find content uh, to kind of debunk or write about, ensuring that other people don't get fooled by a deepfake. So, for example, um, if there is a, a deepfake of a political figure potentially uh, that has potential to go viral or is already sort of viral, uh, we're able to detect that deepfake and let the news media know why um, our machine our learning algorithm detects that it's a deepfake and they're able to write about that deepfake and then uh, amplify their fact check post so that it reaches as many people as possible and the more people that see or know that it is a deepfake the less damage that deepfake can have yeah and um one of the questions i have here is so you're, you're kind of identifying these deep fakes in the social media and uh, larger, I guess, online presence uh, where deep fakes are. Is there a way for you to identify permanently whether the, a video or something is fake, like label it uh, directly into the video itself? Um, or is it simply identifying the, the deep fake and then showing the person that it would uh, impact uh, to kind of mitigate those measures? Right. It, right now, um, we're pretty much showing the, uh, the user of our product that it is a deep fake. We hope to eventually partner with, say, a social media company to integrate within their, uh, their infrastructure so that mm -hmm. we could help them label videos. That's potentially one avenue um, that we could, we could go after. Um, another avenue that we could explore is uh, providing an add-on for users so they could perhaps download a Chrome app, and then we'll be able to scan videos that they view in the Chrome app and let them know whether or not it's a deep fake. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that's really interesting, especially if this is possible for users to do, right? Because I would, I would imagine, even though I think Facebook has an army of people trying to label uh, videos or posts or, or images as not kind of conforming to their platform guidelines, um, the amount of content that's being produced out there is just, it's, it's kind of impossible for any uh, group of individuals to do. Um, so if this can be done kind of at a bottom-up approach where the users are actually labeling these things, it might be, it might be more uh, useful in the long run. Um, I, had a, I had another question. So uh, this is mostly for video or is, are you doing this also for audio and for images? Uh, we also do this for images. There have been research reports of individuals detecting um, audio defects or creating machine learning models to detect defects, and they have been successful. Some, some models have been successful over 90% of the time on some benchmarks. So we plan to branch into audio defect detection as well because we think audio defects could be growing in numbers um, as well. Yeah, um, I, I mean, as a as a podcaster, this is uh, quite an interesting domain for me. Is um, is audio? Do you know is audio uh, deepfakes harder to detect than video? Uh, I mean, I've seen a number of video deepfakes out there, and some are amazing, and some are you know not quite so amazing. Um, but with audio, I would assume that it's perhaps a little bit simpler to create. No, 
Uh, that, that, that's a good question. So yes, video, video defects, some are cred- incredibly uh, convincing. Mm-hmm. With audio defects, I haven't heard a, a convincing audio defect. Um, I've heard a Joe Rogan defect that was, was fairly convincing, but it did have some weird, weird pauses. The problem with audio defects now is getting uh, a wide range of uh, expression. So right. you, you can create an audio defect and it could be fairly monotone. Uh, but if the more expression you want to add, the more difficult it, it is to, to create. So that being said, whether or not audio defects are easier to detect than video defects, I think maybe for, for a human to detect an audio defect now, I haven't been convinced by, by an audio defect yet. Maybe that says something about it. But uh, as I guess, as you were saying before, that's, that's now. <laughs> and uh, maybe in, in a few years' time, this might be completely different uh, for, for audio and, and, of course, as you said, for video as well. If this is a trend that's going to continue, uh, and you're saying that deep fakes are already done so well, is it, uh, I mean, I don't know how your algorithm works, but uh, is it possible that in five, 10, maybe 15 years time that it would become impossible to detect whether a deep fake is a deep fake? Uh, we, we think that will eventually be the case, whether it's five, 10 years or, or even further. Because of the nature of how deepfakes are, are created and how deepfakes are detected, it's only a matter of time until um, the deepfakes get to such a high level of quality that it, it's hard for a detector to really differentiate between real and fake. And there are things we can do to slow the pace of this happening. Mm-hmm. I'll give some context on how deepfakes are created. So essentially, deepfakes are created through a generator and discriminator relationship. So a generator creates an image and it sends it to a discriminator. And then the discriminator, uh, which is trained on real and fake images, is able to provide feedback on the generator's image. And so if the discriminator thinks that the generator's image is fake, the discriminator will provide that feedback to the generator and the generator will try again, send a new image to the discriminator and repeat the process until eventually the discriminator cannot tell if the image is real or fake. So in a couple of years, then this, this dance between these, these two different kinds of algorithms won't necessarily lead to any kind of actual detection. It'll just be the discriminator won't be able to discriminate whether the the image is uh, fake or not. Exactly. Exactly. With that, with that in mind, we think it's, it's only a matter of time, but there's things we can do to slow it down. Uh, So one thing that we're doing is uh, we are um, partnering with uh, deep fake generation companies. Uh, We've, we've spoken with multiple deep fake generation companies and they are interested in, uh, providing us their data so that we could train our models on their state-of-the-art deepfakes and therefore make our model more robust and uh, more accurate. And we think that by making our model more robust and more accurate using this exclusive training data from these deepfake generation companies, we'll be able to have a really accurate deepfake detection model. And uh, that will discourage people from trying to or make it more difficult for people to sort of fool our model. 
in, mm -hmm. in, in the meantime. Uh, so that's one way we could slow down the, uh, the, the, the inevitable. Right. So, so if this, if this process takes say 10 to 15 years, um, I can kind of foresee a little bit of a cat and mouse game, right? Where, where your algorithm is getting better at detection, but also the deep fakes are getting better at, uh, well, just being deep fakes and, and fooling people. Uh, so there's this continuous back and forth where each of your uh, individual models are getting better at doing whatever, whatever it is that they're doing. But if you're saying also that eventually it will become impossible for any algorithm to detect deep fakes, what do you see your, your company evolving into? Uh, if this, let's just put a round number on it. If this takes 15 years, um, I would assume that your company evolves or pivots into some different uh, perspective, no? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So instead of doing what we're currently doing, which is um, a detection-based method, looking at a video telling and, and seeing if it's fake or not, uh, what we may move into is a, more of a provenance-based solution where mm. we verify the original contents uh, right from the start. So perhaps we, we um, embed our technology into a video device manufacturer's technology as well so that when a person takes a video or, or image or a picture on their iPhone, for example, or their Samsung, we can take some valuable metadata from that image, such as location, pixel contents, and then store that in a database that we could always refer to. And that way we could sort of trace back the original details of a photo or a video and that will allow us to sort of um, track whether or not um, any manipulations were done and pretty much make it, make it easier to tell whether or not a video is original or has been doctored. Okay, that's, uh, that's really interesting. This is, this is kind of the main point of confusion I had uh, in, in last week's episode. I was unsure as to the future outlook of these deep fake detection uh, technologies out there. But if uh, the move is towards, as you said, uh, the provenance of the videos itself, it makes it much more likely that there will be kind of a separation or a split in the media that's being produced where you have you know, known deep fakes and known authentic media. And uh, the, the known authentic media will come from companies like yours where you're actually labeling that media as authentic, uh, which I think kind of positions you in quite, a, quite an interesting and maybe even powerful role in the next, uh, let's say, 15 years or so. Right, right. We know that deepfakes are being used for harm now and mm -hmm. people are being affected by deepfakes now. So that's why we've, uh, we've embarked on our, on our deepfake detection journey. Uh, using uh, the detection methods um, that that I discussed earlier for now. Yeah, no, that makes sense. One of the other things I was wondering about was the kind of future of deepfakes themselves. So you mentioned that deepfakes are going to become, you know, more ubiquitous. They're going to be with us all the time. Uh, the the quality is going to get better. Uh, do you think that they will just become part of everybody's? everyday life because as you also mentioned they're going to get easier and easier to produce kind of like digital pictures are now yeah i think if if we don't do anything about them uh they will they will flood social media or they'll, they'll flood the internet 
and uh, we won't know what's real and what's fake. Mm -hmm. And that, that could create two second order effects that I mentioned earlier, that, that, that I kind of uh, alluded to earlier. So one is reality apathy. Uh, so because the volume of real videos matches the, the volume of uh, fake videos, because, uh, because uh, there will be so many fake videos on the internet, we won't know what's real and what's fake. People will sort of suffer reality apathy where they, they disengage with video as a, a form of information and uh, they will not believe anything they see, any video that they see. And this is a dangerous situation. And uh, we have uh, an example actually of this happening uh, about a year or two ago in the country of Gabon, there was an attempted military coup because people did not believe that a video of the president was actually him. And mm. so they hadn't seen the president for a few months. Nobody knew if he was alive or dead. They saw the video. They thought it was a deep fake. Uh, so they didn't believe it. And that led to a military coup, which lasted, I believe, at least a day, but it, it, it led to a few deaths. Hmm. So that is, um, that is a, a very scary second order effect of deepfakes flooding the internet, uh, is this reality apathy uh, phenomenon that I mentioned. Another, uh, another type of second order effect is, is the liar's dividend. So because there's so much, because eventually there may be so much fake media on the web, um, people can just say any video is a fake because the plausible deniability is, is increased. Um, and so you, there, there is an example of a former candidate who ran for the House of Representatives. They published a 23-page report alleging that the individuals in the George Floyd video were deep fakes. Hmm. So this is another scary second-order effect. And you've also heard instances of people being recorded, whether it's audio or video, and they, uh, you know, it looks like it's them. They could just say it's not them. Right. The plausible deniability is there. So this liar's dividend is a very scary second order effect um, that um, if we let deepfakes sort of flood the internet, then, then those are some, some things we have to uh, sort of consider and, and, uh, be aware of. Yeah, that's, uh, I, I mean, I was unaware of these uh, two situations before. It's uh, kind of painting a, a scary picture for the for the future if, if deepfakes are used in, in such a way or if the impact of deepfakes actually happens. I think it's, it's really quite a shame because as we're, we're becoming more and more inundated with video, especially, it's becoming easier than ever before to actually learn things or or share ideas, right? It's been already discussed on the podcast where, you know, videos, because it has so many more different uh, aspects to it, our, our minds, our brains are able to engage with it more and actually retain more information than just say uh, straight text or, or straight audio for that matter. Uh, so videos in that sense typically make uh, a more engaging uh, product. And if these issues that you're, that you're mentioning continue and grow, I think we're also going to be missing something quite, quite substantial uh, with the creation of well, video, text, um, audio, and, and pictures as well. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, if we lose video as a, as a 
information source, then uh, that is not a, a future I want to be a part of. Well, maybe that's, maybe that's too pessimistic, but, <laughs> but I mean, there's, there's so many positive benefits of video as an information source and as a way to engage with others um, that we just have to make sure that we have, um, as we develop new synthetic media methods to increase that engagement, uh, we also have to be mindful of the harmful effects and how to how to counter the harmful effects. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree further with you. Um, maybe we can end on a positive note. Uh, I, I think you've done a great job about explaining kind of the negative aspects of, of deep fakes. And of course, then where your company, FakeNet AI, fits into, into this growing trend of, of deep fakes. Um, maybe I'll just ask you, like, what are some of your... Uh, preferred or favorite positive effects of deepfakes as you see them them coming out? In the case of like a company like Synthesia or there's another company called Lobo AI, um, they're making um, really more engaging content um, and saving a lot of costs in producing videos. Mm -hmm. and I think that that's 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 awesome. I know um, after me working in industry for eight years I, I know like the training videos that I saw I, I see the issues that um, that Victor from uh, Synthesia mentioned um, so the videos were very, very general but if, if those videos could be more personalized then that would make uh, the video more engaging and more relevant and save a lot of people time as well uh, so I think that's the definite positive use case um, and uh, I think the, the types of content that we're going to see in the future from synthetic media will be, um, will be pretty amazing. I think um, one thing that I've seen is uh, in, say, the Star Wars movie, it took animators 18 months to recreate an actor. And uh, deepfakes have the potential to significantly decrease that time. So the content that we're going to see in the future, um, there's kind of kind of no limits to what we're going to see in terms of positive content as well. We, we just have to make sure that, uh, that we put things in place to make sure that, that the technology, as powerful as it is, it's, it's used for good and, and uh, we can reduce it from being used for harm. I couldn't, uh, I couldn't agree further with you. I really, I really like the way that we went through kind of a lot of the negative potentialities of deepfakes and ended with this quite nice, positive, hopeful, I would even say, possibility. Raymond, I can't thank you enough for coming on. Where can people get in touch with you or contact you or follow your work if, uh, if they wish to do so? They could check out the website, fakenetai.com. Uh, they could find me on Twitter, uh, Ray Lee tweet or uh, LinkedIn, Ray Lee LinkedIn. And, um, and they can also shoot me an email, Raymond at fakenetai.com. Uh, I'd love to hear your feedback. And um, we, we didn't mention some, some other cases of people being affected by, uh, or didn't go into detail about uh, some, some people being affected by defect pornography. But if you, if you do have a video in question and you, or not sure if it's a deepfake or not, please let us know. And we'd be happy to sort of run it through our uh, deepfake detection algorithm and give you a result and see if that can help you as well. Um, and also, if you want to talk more about machine learning or data science, please reach, reach out as well.
thank you very much for coming on. Uh, it was a pleasure talking to you and I wish you and your company all the best. Glad to, glad to have been a part of this and I appreciate you uh, uh, having me on. So thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you want to support the podcast, you can leave a like or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you want to get in touch, feel free to do so over Twitter or LinkedIn by searching for Automated Podcast. On the website, automatedpodcast.org, you can leave a comment on any of the episodes, read the transcripts, and look at the sources I use in all of these episodes. There are also blog articles and additional resources and information on this topic and podcast if you are looking for more. See you next week. The Automated Podcast.